0: Welcome to the Darkly Lit Podcast, where we delve into the world of horror each month with a different piece of literature or short story, discussing and answering questions you, the listener, have submitted. I am one of your hosts, the king of Nightmareland, creator of The Witching Hour, and producer for this show, Jesse Reyes, but you can also just call me Said. and let me introduce my fellow host, the devious duo, starting with Kayla Berry. Hello, I will soon become a king of a <laughs> Orland, hopefully. Can't wait to be king.
1: Yeah, I actually have <laughs> joked with David so many times. I said, the day before our wedding, I'm going to play
0: that song. <laughs> Just, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> and then, of course, the actual king, David King.
2: Uh, listen to this. It's the president. He wants to give you a medal. <laughs> Wait, no, he wants to give you an oil field in Alaska. No, no, I got that wrong. He wants to give you Alaska.
0: i take Alaska.
3: Oh, and of course...
0: Oh, we can't forget the lovely Chelsea Comer. Hello. I will just be a little fish at the bottom of a pond one day. <laughs> or you could be a happy rabbit in like the summer sun. Yeah, you know that works too. That sounds. That's a probably more.
4: More at <laughs> <up> my alley.
0: <laughs> and lastly, and for the first time on Darkly Lit, we have a guest, our listener and friend Alex Hatzberger.
5: Hello, everyone.
0: And we're very happy to have you on the show. I think, like, as soon as we announced that we were reading this book, you were like, hey, can I be on? And we <laughs> definitely were excited. Like, yes, we want you on.
5: Uh, this is one, been one of my favorite books ever since I was a kid.
0: And should we We probably should say what the book is. Yes. <laughs> it,
2: well, if you haven't been keeping tabs, yeah, we should probably let, mm. make sure people know.
1: So we're returning back to Clive Barker and... But uh
4: oh, I'm so glad you're revisiting my work again. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh
1: but this time uh we're going we're continuing with the um uh children's horror novels and uh we'll be we read The Thief of Always. Mm.
0: And then I was so this was one of my children's books so I recommended it last uh month. And so before the seasons get away from us, I will start it off, start us off with a uh, book summary.
3: So in Ohio it was sixty degrees earlier and it just snowed. Speaking of
2: Whoa, what?
3: Seasons. Wow. Yeah. Gee. We're having Christmas tonight. Yeah, Jeez. it went from,
5: it went from winter to spring this afternoon. We had long, long snow and then rain and then April showers after that. So
2: California only has two seasons, summer and colder summer.
0: <laughs> and which All which for sorts... me is like perfect summer.
5: Here in Rhode Island we just have road work.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, If you go a little further north, it's either rabbit season or duck season. Oh, wait.
0: Fire! Okay, so let's get into this summary. Young Harvey Swick is an ordinary kid facing the challenges all children must face. School, parents who want you to clean your room, and worst of all, boredom. On an especially dreary and rainy day in February, Harvey is visited by a strange man named Riddicus, who convinces Harvey to visit Mr. Hood's Holiday House, a place where Harvey can do whatever he'd like and never be bored again. There, Harvey is amazed by the magical workings of the house where all the seasons pass in a single day. Spring in the morning, lazy hot summer afternoons, Halloween every evening with Thanksgiving dinners, and a snowy Christmas night with presents under the tree day in and day out. While enjoying the wonders of each season, Harvey makes friends with two other children staying at the house, Wendell with his who cares, easy living attitude, and the odd but sweet Lulu, as well as the old Miss Griffin who cooks and provides the kids with any delicious treats they could want. But as time passes, Harvey begins to suspect there's something dark hidden under all the splendor and magic. From the cold lake behind the house with its miserable-looking fish to the unsettling, unsettling presence of Riticus's siblings, Mars and Jive. It's when Harvey and Wendell discover that they cannot leave that the true nature of the house begins to reveal itself. Before an attempt to escape, Harvey is visited by Lulu, who is slowly transforming into one of the fish in the lake. Then, with the help of Miss Griffin's cat, Harvey and Wendell narrowly avoid Karna, another one of Riddicka's siblings and a horrendous creature with endless teeth. The boys escape, but upon returning home, they realize that for every day they spent in the house, a year has passed in the outside world. Determined to get back what's his, all the lost time with his parents, and to save Lulu, Harvey returns to the house. He saves Miss Griffin, who's been locked away. Using his wit, he defeats Mars, Jive, and Karna. Leaving Riddicus and the force behind it all, Mr. Hood, learning that Hood is the house itself, Harvey challenges its magic, asking for every possible thing he can think of, from a giant arc with living animals and endless buffet of absurd foods, to all the seasons at once. Exhausting Hood's magic, Hood's house falls apart as the seasons clash. As a lake empties into a swirling vortex, all the children claimed over the decades are freed, but from the debris and the wreckage of the house, Riddicus is left standing with some of hood's magic which hood uses to take a final form built from torn wood and nails and shards of glass but with lulu's help hood is finally defeated and destroyed in the watery vortex harvey says goodbye to his friends and they all return to their own times
2: this is a really good episode of doctor
5: who you guys (laughs) (laughs) just this once everybody lives.
0: lives everyone lives everyone lives
2: Except Mr. Hood and,
5: well, all
2: and of the...
0: all his lackeys. All of his dust people. Yeah.
5: If they were ever alive to begin with. That's true.
0: Because they well, were illusions. They did fear death, so
1: mm. I say they
5: were alive. But,
1: well, really it was in children's
5: book.
2: They at the very least had they had personalities.
1: Mm. That's what I liked about it. the... Um, first off, I really enjoyed this book. It had... It, it was an interesting premise... It was, um, it was silly. I liked, um, Harvey's character. Um, actually a lot of the characters were likable and I liked the places the story went, but it tied nicely all together. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my comment. Um, I'm
2: a big fan of stories like this. I love the kind of stories where it's, it's, uh, usually kids in their own time being pulled into some sort of surreal otherworld, some sort of magical place where there's actually a dark undercurrent to the whole thing. And then usually the kids have to work their way out of it. Uh, While reading this, the first thing that sprang to my mind in terms of that was uh, Coraline.
4: Mm. Mm. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You could draw quite a few parallels between this and Coraline. And that's not to say that one is better or worse than the other. I just think that um, there's I think that's actually a strength, too, and that I can recognize that sort of same feeling. I mean, Coraline even had a cat, a talking cat. (laughs) This one did not have talking cats, but it had three cats. And uh, that was nice. Um, Also, um, uh, you know, any a lot of Roald Dahl books are like this when you think about it. It is
4: true. Uh, The
2: BFG, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Yes, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the movie. That
2: one has Gene Wilder in it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, like, oh, or, or like um, the Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury. There's mm, a lot of
1: sort, sort of. of
2: just this idea. But I mean, more so, the first thing that really jumped out to me was like this, this, this feels a lot like Coraline to me, and which, that's not a bad thing.
1: Which I think we should read at some point. Mm-hmm. Um the reason I didn't uh when we were discussing like our childhood horror books, I didn't choose Coraline because I actually read Coraline when I was 16, not when I was a kid.
2: Same. Um I actually didn't I come to think of it, I didn't read any of Neil's stuff until I was in my late teens to be honest. Yeah, and the same. first thing of his Very I read funny. was for, uh, that I read properly was uh Sandman. So
1: mm-hmm. If I would have known about this as a kid, I would have loved this book.
2: Me too. Honestly, like I said, this is the kind of stuff I ate up as a—I I would have eaten up as a kid. So this was this was really good. And it felt nostalgic to read a book like this, despite ne- having, having never read it before. So uh, A plus. Uh, fantastic work.
0: So I think I read this when I was in middle school and I didn't pay attention to who the author was, so it wasn't until actually a couple of years ago that I realized, oh shit, this is by Clive Barker <laughs> when I finally found the book again. But it it is this... definitely it's definitely one of my favorite ones that stuck with me like since I was a kid. I, I can see why.
1: I mean, um I mean the first thing that um I mean Alex basically messaged us and said, Oh my gosh, guys, this was a book from my childhood too, and I adore it. So I could easily see, like, as a kid, this resonating with people as you get older.
5: Yeah, I was in fourth grade when I first read this book myself. And um, it was coming home from a field trip that my friend gave me a blow-by-blow synopsis of the book. Like, hitting every single beat. And then the next day he brought it in and let me borrow it. And I just read it over, like, a day. I just absolutely tore through the book as a kid. I was a voracious reader. I used to read everything I could. But I was, you know, I love stories with, you know, kids fighting things in them. I was a huge fan of Animorphs and that whole, like, young adult thing. Because I was right about that age range where those books were targeted.
4: Mm -hmm.
5: But same, this one just hooked me. And I've, I don't know how many times I've read this book. Like, I've lost track. (laughs) I actually was looking at my my copy of it and I found, I realized when I was looking at the inside cover, because I was curious when this was published. I found out that I actually have a first edition printing of it, so I was like, oh. oh, holy crap. I've had this book for like 20-something years.
1: Dang.
5: And I'm like, wow, I'm older than I thought. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, wait, when when did this book come out?
5: 92, I think.
1: Okay, that sounds normal. But... No,
2: you've only owned it for like 20 days. You were just reading it <laughs> in Hood's house.
5: Yes, exactly. That's why I don't feel so old.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, that actually sounds about right. That actually was also that kind of time when those type of books were coming out as well, like the uh, child um, gets swept into another world. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's still a common trope no matter what, but like I feel like during the early '90s that was a big thing. Oh yeah, Chelsea, I liked this book. <laughs> 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 I,
3: I really like. Um, the use of, like, imagery with the words. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the, the language in particular struck me as... I, I mean, it's Clive Barker, so, of course, it's really well written. But I had no idea this existed, so this is a nice treat, I think, <laughs> to read this.
1: Yeah, the one thing we discussed about when we read The Hellbound Heart with Clive Barker is he he writes um in... A simple format that's easily to understand, but doesn't lose sight of like being uh, like uh, descriptive with his words, and I think that actually fits very well for a kid's book, and it does well here.
2: It's really interesting to read this after reading *The Hellbound Heart* because it's such a like it's still stylistically like you can you could tell it's the same writer, but oh, yeah. the tone is just so much different, and yet still manages to get across a good level of of creepiness mm. as the as things advance. And he doesn't have to be explicit about anything in this one. The horror is still evident. I think it's great to, when, when you can see a writer who is strong at telling stories that are more aimed toward children and stories that are more aimed toward adults. I think that says a lot about how good a writer Clive Barker is.
5: So speaking of the Hellbound Heart and uh, the Hellraiser movies that came from it, did anybody notice Pinhead's cameo in the book? Yes.
1: Yes. I, wait. Oh yeah, because uh, *Hellbound Heart* came out before um, would have came out before this book.
5: Yeah.
2: Oh,
1: that's awesome.
5: I'm
2: gonna see if I can find it again because um, uh, the uh, beginning of chapter ask. six. Oh, that's right, because it's um, on it's the wall it. of masks. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the illustrations, and by the way, I love the illustrations in this book. So
1: the one uh, I not that I'm not sure if many people know. Maybe they do. Uh, Clive Barker actually is also an artist, and he and, did artwork for the. Um, for the book, and there it is,
2: yep. right there. there. Is. I'm looking yep. at the picture of the wall of masks, and there, down on the left, is is Pinhead. I actually noticed that when I was reading it and took note. Uh, that
0: so was...
5: they also they also made a graphic novel of the Thief of Always,
0: mm-hmm. oh, which, wow. uh, which I actually own too. As as do
5: I, and unfortunately, I was I was kind of disappointed when I read it because it doesn't it wasn't illustrated by Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. But the art did grew on me. I really I really do like the style of it. Is the story
1: but, good, like in comic book form, or?
5: It's actually it's really good. It's a really good adaptation.
0: Okay, cool. I,
1: I, of...
5: think,
0: I think a story like this one that has such really strong imagery in its words would translate well to to a graphic novel.
5: It's a really strong adaptation to a graphic novel. I'm
2: gonna want to find it. I think my favorite illustration in the book is actually the one at the beginning of uh, a fledgling thief, where you see um, Rictus, but with the. He's got one glass broken, but his his smile is huge. He looks all disheveled, and he's holding the uh, the energy in his hand, and it's mm. like yeah. casting light under his face. It's a really spooky illustration, and I love how like just nefarious uh, Rictus looks.
5: Mm-hmm. The illustration I always loved was transformed Harvey, he's yeah. oh, me his too. Vampire form.
0: That one. That one that image always stuck with me in my head even when I like mm. forgot what the book title was I, I lost this book for years guys I was like I remember reading this book oh. it had a blue cover and I don't know what it was but that image of Harvey with the wings stuck with me forever and I think it's because when I was younger I still love him but when I was younger I was definitely really into like vampires of every kind mm-hmm. oh so, yeah who wasn't so Harvey yeah <laughs> So I'm kind of endeared to Harvey for one, that reason and many others. <laughs> there is one thing, um, I
1: swear, like he drew the artwork first and just decided to add in was, um, the man with the with the uh, whose butt is a face. I swear oh. he drew that person and was just like, uh, where am I gonna put it? This is an amazing image. Yeah, I'll just throw it into this kid's book. Why not? Kids will like that. <laughs>
5: that yeah. one for some <laughs> reason always reminded me of uh, the scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I can oh, see that. That's how, I feel, that's how I feel all the like a lot of the artwork in here mm-hmm. seems like to me that they all like like a lot of them remind me of that. Especially when I saw the first picture of um Ricktus with the umbrella. I'm like, this looks like something that could have been in uh uh the Alone in the Dark series.
2: Yeah, the that illustration in particular, like looking at it again, like this does have a distinct uh scary stories. Uh Stephen Grimmel? That was the name of the illustrator for that book, right? I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it has a grimmel quality to it. And I look at that and I, I get that from some other places. And uh, while we're on the subject, um, I thought I, there's some great other little hidden ones in here too. Like I love how mm. a present from the past, the picture of the Christmas tree. If you look, you can see that things have been arranged. Oh, yeah. So it looks kind of like a sinister face.
0: Mm-hmm. I think for me, my favorite drawing is the one of Miss Griffin and the cat that's left that are like just kind of like fading away. Mm. just because like Aw, their their expressions are so strong and you just get this feeling of like i have seen some shit even from the cat
2: <laughs> there's no doubt about that they're, they're, well bye mrs griffin bye stew cat
0: the funny part it looks like
1: she's rubbing the cat's belly which is like no she must that cat must really trust her
2: oh yeah i mean those those cats have spent eons with her as far as we we know
0: mm-hmm. i think Alex, you're, you're any- gonna say something
5: I was going to say the the illustration from the beginning of chapter 18, The Bitter Truth, where it's um, Mar melting.
4: Yes. Oh. Melting. Ever
5: since I was a kid, that one always was really, really creepy
4: mm-hmm.
5: because he does a really good job of showing as like she's melting away, you can see the skull shape beneath the flesh, and it's just, just an unnervingly creepy and surreal image.
2: I think it's the eyes dribbling out of the sockets that gets to yeah. me. So that's, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Mm
5: -hmm. (laughs) It's one of those weird books where the illustrations on their own are really engaging and really fascinating. But with the text, they both add to the text and the text adds to the imagery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if, if they, if the, those pictures weren't in the book, it would still be a great story. But with those pictures in there, it just kind of enriches it in a way that, doesn't really happen very often.
0: Mm -hmm. I wonder if that if that's because they're both done by Clive Barker, whereas if it had been done by someone else, it wouldn't have that same effect.
5: Yeah, I I think the author being the illustrator was probably a really big boost.
2: Mm -hmm. Especially helpful for getting getting your, your vision across. So definitely as I was going through the book my own sort of headspace would, would, would match with the illustrations a little better and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Although, um, I don't know if this is true. And actually I wanna get um am actually curious about Chelsea's opinion about the illustrations in this one as the as a, you know, artist.
3: I, I really liked them. I thought that they fit the story and the style really well. Um, especially matched with the imagery of the words. I <laughs> wish that there were more of
0: them. <laughs> I think we all do. Wish oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind
2: of wanted to see more of the, like, landscapes. I kind of wanted to see more of the house, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: that would have been nice to see, too. I think, because, um, I mean, the house is basically, I mean, it is a character. It's, it's really, <laughs> yeah. by the end. You know. It is Hood. So it, it'd be interesting to see what this house look, looks like, especially since, yeah, I mean, yes, it's Hood at the end, but it, it does, before all that, it's definitely a character in its own right.
2: When I read a lot of uh, children's books uh, nowadays, or books that are really richly detailed that are meant for kids, my mind automatically goes to, like especially with this one, I couldn't help but evoke, like think of the the sets, the scenery they were walking through as really exquisitely detailed, like background, Mm. like imagine the backgrounds you'd see in a Studio Ghibli film,
4: Mm.
2: like especially like from something like Howl's Moving Castle or um, Spirited Away some of the fancier parts of the bathhouse or um, anything in the castle. And like, my thought was just like, could you imagine how good this would all look if it was given, if that was given that level of detail in like an animated yeah. version.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: One and of it the things that I, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, it, was just, it seemed really fitting. And that, that was just what my own mental image kind of conjured up. Something with, that was rich and warm and colorful and inviting and detailed uh, for, for the interior of, holiday house when you know and then as things get worse it just gets more and more like but you know it's I think that's that's the power of the that's the power of the 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 writing of the words and setting the scene I think I think that's that's what helps and the illustrations certainly helped too but they're more forgetting the characters and maybe little thematic uh, details across um and like I said I think it would have been neat to see more of the backgrounds which is why I'm very interested in seeing what the graphic novel does with that
1: actually come to think about it, wouldn't that be it would be great as an animated film but not just like purely animated like done by someone like uh ghibli or um um i'm trying to think of that one uh the one that made henry Coraline. like 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 thank you uh, like <laughs> henry sellick yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah that actually focuses on the details of the world around it because i i think this would actually be interesting to see as a ghibli film because again
2: get okay, my my mind went to Coraline
1: well yeah but, <laughs> no, no no I know but like I I'm trying to think like if Laika did it would they be like eh, this is kind of like another Coraline where if Ghibli did it it'd be it'd... I
2: I feel like if if Laika did it they would still treat it with a lot of respect because they did the same thing with their the source material and Coraline despite changing some of it up yeah um I had a point I was gonna make but I'll I'll come I'll come back to it a little later
1: I mean, Paranorman also had that sort of horror feel to it too, but they were able to make it its own and make it feel separate from Coraline.
2: Yeah. Oh, that was my question. I just remembered. Um, are, do we know where this was set? I, I, I mean, was it, actually
5: it, just going to bring that up. That was uh, the point I was going to bring up too. Is
1: it, I know it's in America.
5: Is it America? You see, I always thought it was England because uh, Clive, Clive like... Barker's from England,
2: but he, he lives in but he lives in um, he lives How in many... California.
0: How many American kids do you know named Wendell? Good point. Or or Lulu. Or Lulu, yeah. Yeah. See, I maybe because of the rain in the beginning. I
5: thought he made it up for the story.
0: Lulu? (laughs) I swear I just I I was talking or reading the name Lulu somewhere else right after reading this. But
3: I know Lulu is a character in Final Fantasy X. The
2: she's the doll lady, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she's the uh, hot goth
2: oh yeah hot goth with the cool big giant cloak big fur coat no yeah. no
3: she's the one with the uh the belt dress
2: oh yeah okay
5: oh, oh so she filled the must wear too many belts quota in that final fantasy game
4: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> my outfit is composed of belts suck on that <laughs> right
4: so, uh, so
5: when you when you bring up the question about where this book is located um or what, where the setting is located it was one of those things I was noticing reading at this time was that I was assuming it was like in my neighborhood where I grew up, but then I remembered, you know, when I was reading about the author, it's like, oh, Clive Barker was from I think Liverpool originally, and I'm like, well, it could be England, it could be, like, he just describes it in such a way that it fills the any place, you know, USA model yeah, or any it, place it in the feels, world.
1: It feels like like there's not really any references to England or anything like that or even America. But it does feel like, yeah, this is a typical suburban neighborhood. This is just a typical kid. So it does have that. It can appeal to anyone from any country. It kind of Although, reminded
3: me of, um, like, in Frisky Dingo, when they're just like, and this happened in the town. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's never, you never find out where it actually
0: happens. At. <laughs> just It just happens. It just happens in the town. I think for me, Hold it, on it says... USA. A, all the rain in the beginning—it just made me think of, of <laughs> Portland and Oregon, and just where I grew up. So for me, it was in yeah. Oregon.
2: So maybe it was actually left a little bit ambiguous, so you could you could conceivably put it where you want to put it. Yeah, yeah. like where's the I holiday house in purposeful. my
0: neighborhood?
2: I I couldn't help but picture the UK. Um, I can't rightly really tell you why I. But well, like well, I mean, I just I think the way people act, some are some of the way people like talked, some of the way the pros worked, although. You know when you got char- when you got these goblin-like characters like Rictus going around saying the greatest person in America Land or whatever. I'm like, see, this is there are things that are throwing my sort of hard my my mental sort of this is where this is set idea for a loop. So um, it could be did, either or.
0: He did say that the president called and wanted to give Alaska. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's a.
2: But th- or but fl- or Florida? You did. <laughs> <laughs> uh too cold too hot said harvey um you're
5: a tough kid to please
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i could i could hear rictus sounding either like a a really a really like sad blended cockney or he could oh. totally be a like all right kid you're tough i can work with that you know like he, he could either he could either be someone from joycee or he could be like a
5: <laughs> i almost see him as gill from simpsons <laughs> 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 oh jeez! Oh, oh, oh man harvey you're driving a hard parking <laughs> one of the things that i like about the way that they, they they draw rictus in the graphic novel is that they actually draw him with his smile extending actually beyond the limits of his face yeah oh. so it looks unnerving like it's like literally pasted on That's it's an cool. it, it's a really interesting approach to designing the character that i really thought was cool
0: it makes mm-hmm. me kind of think of um courage to cowardly dog mm. the i can style see that yeah
2: Return the slab <laughs> or suffer
5: my curse.
0: Actually, if anyone was gonna an- animate this, it should be that team. <laughs>
5: that would be interesting. I could see that. That would be interesting.
2: I would, but then I would, then I would expect Harvey to run away from things, going like,
0: "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that'd be Wendell. when Carno shows up. Whatever, I don't care.
2: Well, Wendell would have to be the Eustace, because he'd be like,
0: man, who cares? Who cares? (laughs) I can see that. Catchphrase!
1: (laughs) Have the audience laughter every time he says "Ah." (laughs) that. Wow, that was a creepier laugh than I intended.
5: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I found really interesting in reading through the book more critically as an adult, because... I've read it a bunch of times in the past few years just for fun. But in in sort of prepping to discuss it, I was trying to pay attention to things that popped up. And one of the things I noticed was this is described on the front cover as a fable. And it makes me think of sort of like the classic tall tales and fairy tales and Disney tales of like, you know, don't be, you know, avoid being kidnapped by, you know, ogres and monsters and fairies and whatnot, you know, they'll eat you up, they'll,
2: you Basically,
1: know. Basically, the don't talk to strangers
5: scenario.
2: Yeah. Even if one is in your bedroom. when You, you have know, it,
1: speaking <laughs> of fairies, it does
3: really remind me of that, um, that one tale of that one guy who got kidnapped by, like, the, the fairy queen. Oh, yes. What is the name of that? Yeah, and then, like, he went back home and everybody, like, it had aged 300 years or something. hmm Oh, I don't remember the details of that. <laughs>
5: And that's, that's part of like classic fairy tale lore. Because um, one, one of the one rules of those sort of fairy tale stories, and this shows up in Dresden Files and it shows up in like a ton of movies and stuff like that, which is if you ever go into the fairyland, never eat or drink anything they offer you.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And what's the first thing that they do in Holiday House when Harvey arrives?
1: Eat and drink. They Honestly, give them
5: food I... both the first and the second time they go to the house.
1: Well, the funny thing is, this actually, the more you talk about it, I, I would not be surprised if Clive Barker got the idea from like listening to a bunch of fairy tales and is like, huh, I didn't realize how creepy they are. And then came oh, yeah. up with yeah. his own modern version.
5: of Clive lot- there- Barker's work is very heavily influenced by like the old fairy tales, like the yeah. monstrous fairy tales, like the Sheed and all of those sorts of fairies.
1: Well, and there is a kind of similar theme to, like, the Hellbound Heart, where two characters who want something different from life go to uh, seek um, means, uh, like, kind of supernatural means, and discover it's not what they quite imagine. Yes. So has that sort of feel, too.
5: It also uses the the fairy logic of you can beat fairies at their own game by mm-hmm. being better... At wordplay and tricking them in their bargains,
2: that's a definite fable angle. I'm that's always how it goes. the The hero, the hero of a story like that, always uses their wits to overcome a a situation. And and Harvey is the classic sort of like, I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna defeat you all just by using my words and my my smarts, Mm -hmm. not through brute force, but because he can't. He's ten, but (laughs) also he's mortal. But like, I I thought that was really that's that's definitely a, a fable. Aspect that gives it that that weight, that, fa- that way behind the idea that this is a fable.
5: So especially at the end when he's effectively made the deal with Hood that Hood will grant him a bunch of wishes, and then he agrees to serve Hood, effectively becoming the fifth member of the of the Rictus Brotherhood. There, and yeah,
1: I, I have a funny feeling this is basically what happened with the other, with all the brothers, basically had big imaginations and tries to convince him them basically convince him to stay
2: well I mean I don't know I, I always I felt I feel, I, feel like like I feel like the the four of them Karna,
5: Rictus, Mar,
2: and Jive that was the,
0: the, the point, that good I got point too.
5: I think he would be more like Mrs. Griffin
0: yeah
1: or
5: Ms. That's Griffin true. I should say
1: that's true yeah you got a point because yeah they're all like made from dust and well it's
2: interesting because they're all made of something different Mm-hmm. Like, um, I guess uh, Mar is kind of composed of mud and spittle. Yes. Um, uh, Jive is composed of was dust. Carno was teeth and bone. Rictus? He was hot what? air. He was hot air? Oh,
1: that's right. That's right.
2: He was literally full him floating. of hot air. Yeah.
1: Which is kind like, of funny because he's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they described him floating places like a balloon, and when he's killed by um, by Hood, his head pops off and goes. <laughs>
5: I never <laughs> realized he he's a long visual pun. Yeah. He really
4: is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but yeah, no. Well, and then it's I, I like the you know as stuff goes on, we get to get the reveal how Mrs. Griffin was the first kid to ever get lured to Holiday House, and,
5: mm-hmm. and because of the fact that Hood promised her that she would grow old but never die, that she would never cry again, that she would get get her cats. Uh, But Harvey returning was sad enough that it actually brought her to tears, which broke the promise. Mm -hmm. Which really was what broke Hood's hold over her in addition to the house itself failing. Like, I I feel like that was the point where she was free. Even Mm -hmm. if Harvey didn't win, she would have been set free at the end.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think for me, after, like jives in mars the the one that also kind of got set free was karna
2: yes oh that's true
0: yeah oh yeah i love for me like okay it was really cool to read how how he like outwits each of uh hood's you know minions but when he when karna's is my favorite though because you're like okay he's not gonna be able to talk his way out of this one or trick karna how is he gonna defeat this creature and it's just, like, by showing it compassion that it has never once in its entire existence experienced. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. I really like that part. It's probably my favorite scene. Uh, Where Carnage you know, just it shatters. Is, yeah. Honestly, actually, um, the
1: way they end it, uh, at, like, the ending ending is quite beautiful.
4: Hmm.
1: Like, um, when he returns and then he sees... Um, I, her name is Lulu, right? I'm not... It yeah, It's Lulu. It's Lulu. Yes. It's Lulu. Okay, because we were joking, later, earlier, so I'm now I'm I was trying to question my sanity. I'm like, wait, I thought, okay,
0: uh, yeah, he sees older Lulu, and it's just like, oh, it's so sweet. And the the hill that the house stood on is now just this place where kids can go fly kites. Yeah, I think it's
2: interesting because it like sort of reset time all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah like time got restored and and it wasn't it didn't it wasn't a time travel story and yet it kind of was at the same time but it didn't have like a paradoxical angle to it which i kind of like it was just like well all these kids get to return to their own eras and live their own lives and i thought that was really cool
1: actually that was kind of heartbreaking i I gotta admit when he goes to his home uh harvey goes to his home and then he sees his parents and they're all like
2: They're thirty years older.
1: Yeah, Mm. and he's been every day. He was there. A year would pass, and they're like, "Oh my God, Harvey!" And it's like it's kind of heartbreaking to see. I I mean, especially for the parents to think, "What happened to our son? We haven't seen him in thirty years, and he returns as a child." And at in one point they're just in shock, but then at another point, it's like they're just happy to see him alive
2: they're a lot more willing to believe his story about Hood because of the uh, o- overwhelming circumstances there than they are when he comes back to them in the, in the present. And that makes sense.
1: Well, I yeah. mean, because when he returns, he's still a kid. Like, yeah. he should be, like...
2: I mean, I'm just saying, that I thought that was cool. I was, like, kind of comparing what it would be like if you did lose all that time, you showed up, and you're, like, and you tell this crazy story. Of course they're going to believe you because why are you still the same age, thirty? you know 30 years later if yeah. that's the only explanation you can offer of course they're going to be more inclined to believe you so i thought that was kind of cool and i also liked how willing his parents were despite not being able to do it to be like we're going to find this mr hood and, and mm. put a stop to him you know mhm
5: so
4: because- when i when
5: i first read this book that that part of it and i didn't realize it at the time when i was when i was a little kid but i realized going back to it a couple of years later that i was like oh that scene of him returning to the to the house, the reason that always seemed familiar to me when I was younger was because it was from Fr- Flight of the Navigator.
1: Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I thought, too. And, uh, I was like, and, then, and then when I was older, I was
5: like, oh, Flight of the Navigator is just a sci-fi version of that sort of classic fairy story of being stolen away and brought back years later.
1: Exactly. Um, it, if you guys haven't seen Flight of the Nav- Navigator, the premise is that um, this kid in, like, the '70s was abducted by aliens, and then he returns years later in the '80s and has like has no memories, but um has returned as a child, and they're wondering what happened and what's going on, and then it kind of spirals from there. Um, it's an interest. It's a it's, it's a it's a Disney movie. So I but I I like it. I would recommend it.
5: I can't say it's a good movie, but it's a fun movie. Yeah,
1: I, that's why it's like I like it.
5: And Paul Rubens voices the ship.
1: Yeah, you get to hear Pee-wee Herman voice <laughs> the ship.
5: <laughs> no, I mean heard, infringement, Pee- Pee-wee Herman.
2: I mean, I've heard Pee-wee Herman essentially voice the ship before. Sorry, folks, I'm just getting used to my programming.
1: Oh my gosh, that's right. Okay, sorry, we're getting off track.
5: I, I brought that up just kind of because I because that's such a sort of a ubiquitous or just a really common storytelling trope. And oh, it's, just, yeah. it's a powerful one, too, because it, it's a real like it's a classic adult fear, like the idea of kids being taken and then the idea of like them returning and just losing years of their lives.
2: hmm. Oh, man. it's So, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say um, one of the things I really liked was the eventual reveal. And there was I kind of figured this was going to be a case once Hood was revealed to be sort of the, the face on the ceiling in the attic. I'm like, oh, I get it now. The house is just literally him. Yeah, mm. he's the spirit. He's he, this is a haunted house, but the house is a, is an entity. And uh, I've always really loved that idea in a lot of uh, a lot of horror stories, where where the house itself is an entity. Yeah, um,
1: L- like the haunting or like
2: the haunting. Um, and um, Kayla and Save might appreciate this in particular. It's like I've always I always used to think that about the the haunted mansion at Disneyland.
1: Yeah, I can mm. see like, that.
2: Like like the mm-hmm. idea that the. Well, like the idea that the the house is itself haunted, but that the the spirit that's you know escorts you through the ride, the ghost host, who's able to like you know stretch rooms and make visions appear before you. I used to think to myself, what if the ghost host isn't a ghost that's just following you for the house? What if the ghost host is just the voice of the house? Hey, if walls be... can talk,
4: yeah, that's a, that would
2: be all <laughs> oh, the tales they'd tell.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, when you've got nine hundred and ninety nine ghosts in your walls, it's gonna create a big psychic resonance that could cause. Anyway, that's, that's again <laughs> something else.
1: But, uh, now I have... but,
2: but I mean, I just I just think that I love the I love the idea that Hood was the house, and actually he never stopped being the house. When he had to make himself into a, a you know something that could move later, he was still constructed out of the ruined pieces of the house. Mm-hmm. And I love was... how. Sorry, go ahead. And I also loved how when Harvey sort of pulled his cloak off of him and saw the darkness that was sort of animating Hood, Hood got really like shy about it. Like, no, don't look. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe, of course, more shy in a more, I'm gonna kill you way, but <laughs> I like that he was trying to hide what his true self was, which was that darkness that was animating everything.
5: No, I... I love the line directly from the book where it says, in the high times of his evil, Hood had been the house. Now it was the other way around. The house, what was left of it, had become Mr. Hood.
4: Mm-hmm. Does
5: that, that description is just mm,
4: so good. very good.
2: That's that feels very fable-like too, because it's suddenly breaking sort of the present and telling you things about um telling you things about the setting that are not close there's third person, you know? Because mm. throughout it we've been pretty much right in on, on Harvey. And then it's like it doesn't deviate too much, but it I like that little element that gives it again that fable angle to me.
1: Um, now I got a question for you guys because uh, this is something uh, since we're addressing children's novels that I think we should address. It is very uh, fantastical and has a fable element. Is it still considered horror though? And if if you think so, what, can you explain why?
5: I always considered it to be. I don't. I don't know if I ever would have considered it outright horror when I was a kid. But looking back at it as a, on it as an adult, compared to the other books I was reading at the time it's much more threatening in terms of the amount of danger that Harvey places himself in. Like, he's not necessarily in physical danger like the Animorphs were in the other books I was... Uh, in, like, one of the main series I was reading as a kid. But in that one, they f- it felt like they had a lot more agency in their fight. In this one, it's not until the very final act that I feel like Harvey really starts to realize how much control he really has... So for a lot of it, he's sort of feeling like he's spinning out of control. And I think that's what makes it more of a horror story than just sort of a, a fantasy story.
2: I, I concur. I think it's easy for something like you. You could say a lot of things are horror if you just say, oh, it has dark elements, therefore. Eh. But I think there's the, sometimes the lack of agency and then like the reveals of something, something darker beyond the surface certainly suffice. And if anything, this book is not afraid to get into imagery that is, and and scenes that are are more horrific. Um, Mar melting is a pretty significantly horror moment when you think about it.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
2: Despite it being a heroic moment for for Harvey, you're still watching a being dissolve, mm-hmm. and that's pretty that's pretty horrifying. Or even in a more mundane thing, uh, when when Clue Cat dies. Gets scalded to death.
4: Yeah, that's, that's
1: pretty, yeah, I read that. I'm like, what it's, it's, the? It's,
2: it doesn't happen quick. It happens quickly. But uh, you you don't expect, uh, you know, you don't expect the cat to die right away. I kept thinking, oh, this seems only like a minor inconvenience. Eventually that cat is going to come back. And Clue Cat never comes back. And neither does Blue Cat. They both, Blue Cat gets eaten by Karna. Uh,
3: or
2: at yeah. least I think Blue. Well, I don't know. That's what I M- Mrs. Mrs. Griffin says that Blue Cat was murdered by Hood. For helping yeah. you helping you escape. So, I just assume that that hood could have fed uh blue cat to Karna, but it's hard to say cuz Karna was still wounded. And then of course, you've got this horrible threatening monster
4: mm-hmm. in Karna,
2: you've got this creepy giant grinning man in Rictus. Um even just other things like the fact that every every night just before Christmas, it's Halloween and that that first Halloween chapter I think has a good has good atmosphere, especially oh, yeah. when mm-hmm. when uh, Wendell scares Harvey with the uh, the pumpkin hangman.
5: Yeah, that's a good scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or, I think or the, what... uh, the whole, you know, the children being drawn to the lake, like Lulu, because yeah. she'd been there so long, she was being drawn to the lake and just, like, turning into a fish. That's that pretty was pretty horrifying. horrific. Yeah.
2: Well, even yeah. describing the lake itself, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's this dark, fetid pool... Uh, where there's these weird-looking, almost glassy-eyed fish, and he Harvey keeps thinking, dwelling on how horrible the lake is, how it's like it's deep and dark and cold, and that more existentially is horrifying.
5: Mm-hmm. If, for some reason, as a kid, even though in the book it's described as being really like wide, like it's one of those things of it stretches out for a long time.
4: Mm-hmm. For some
5: reason, as a kid, I always imagined it as being really narrow across, but incredibly deep mm like a small pond, but the pond the type of pond where you could never see the bottom where you know <laughs> if you fell in, yeah, it might only be a foot deep, but it might be thirty feet deep, and you could never tell by looking at the surface <laughs> and and that that to me was always a very unnerving image because everything else in the house is so pristine and so perfect and so alluring, and this is just repulsive,
3: oh
2: yeah. Um, I also
0: like that the lake was right was behind the house like the house is trying to hide it mm -hmm. you know when you like hide something behind your back like okay like if you like hang out with little kids and you're like you're hiding something behind your back from them you're like nope not you can't see it that's what it (laughs) kind of made me think of
5: (laughs) one of the things I also found unnerving was when Harvey and Wendell escape and they go home and he's and he's, his parents realize it's him, and they are you know, obviously happy to see him. And he says, let me tell you everything that happened. And he immediately start, tries to start telling the story and realizes that most of it he can't remember.
1: Yeah. He can it,
5: only I mean, remember certain bits and pieces of it.
1: I mean, that's kind of a creepy thing, too, that, um, I mean, this world kind of affects the memory. Because remember when they enter back into the world and Wendell immediately gives in?
5: Yeah, he immediately falls to it.
1: hmm Hmm. And completely forgets why he was there in the first place or why they came back in the first place.
2: I thought it was sad that Wendell comes to Harvey when they after they've escaped the first time and he's like, my parents got divorced and my mom got fat and like he just (laughs) everything just went really bad for him.
0: (laughs) I think for me, some of the horror comes from just like the underlying stuff that that is true to reality where like. Well like for when if your kid goes missing, that is that is a horrible thing that happens in reality. Where oh, yeah, folks will never know what happened to their kids. But then also where for, for just like Harvey and and learning that not everything that's so sweet and wonderful is really what it is. It's just kinda like learning what the lies are, like that life comes with, with lies, and then everything good also does come with a price. Yeah in this case, years and years of your life, but... uh
1: I mean, that's that's why I said when he sees his parents again later years in life, that actually was a part that actually tugged at my heartstrings because it's like, that's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially from the point of view of
0: the parents, like, that's awful. It
5: hits it like kinda, a hammer when, it when does. he describes that.
0: Especially because we've got that image of Harvey's dad opening the door. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of, like, just get a feel of, like, what all those miserable years of just wondering where their son is. It's just, like, right off of his face. You can feel it.
5: There's some there's some brilliant and really clever naming of the chapters
4: mm. because
5: the, the chapter names don't always necessarily le- lead into it or make a lot of sense unless you think about the previous line. So at the end of the fourth part of Darkness, when they meet Karna and escape back into the streets, Harvey pulls the arc pieces out of his pockets and they fall apart and he says you know illusions they turn to dust between his fingers well who cares wendell said it's time to go home and that's no illusion and then you turn to the next page you see the old man and the chapter title is time was oh. and i and it, like it was like i said it was one of those things of I'm, I'm reading this book for god probably the 30th time at this point and <laughs> I'm picking up on little things like this and realizing how masterful uh, Clive Barker's writing really is to have little things like that in there that on their own don't really add to the story, but they just, it takes this package and just tightens it and tightens it and tightens it into just a really, really well-done book.
1: No, I completely agree. Mm Like, this is, as we're discussing this and you guys are pointing this stuff out, I'm like, this is smarter than i like after reading it than i expected
4: mm.
5: like, i remember <laughs> as, a, as a kid in like fifth grade being like oh i really love this author i'm gonna go look up his other stuff and <laughs> getting a copy of *Imagica* and weave world from the library and them being like an inch and a half thick <laughs> and being like okay i can read that and like getting into it and it's just like really dark um I don't think those two at the beginning have a lot of sexual imagery like the way um, Hellbound Heart does. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a bit different than what I was expecting. I want... This. <laughs> did uh, did you ever read uh, Aberat? I haven't read that one yet. I read a little bit of
2: it when I was younger. That was my first real exposure to Clive Barker, but I didn't... Again, much like much like uh, was saying, I didn't think about the author. I was just like, oh, here's a weird book with some cool illustrations, and then I liked it, but I just, I was borrowing it from someone and then I got to a certain point and stopped reading. And I think I'd like to pick it up and read it again sometime. So that mm. thie- reading Thief of Always got me thinking about Aberat again.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting thing when you mentioned that, like, oh, remember Aberat? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. It's written by Clive Barker. I didn't even think <laughs> about that.
5: One of the things I, lo- I always loved about the cover of the book is that the cover lays out all the major points in the story Like between the cover and the back cover, it just sort of brilliantly illustrates everything without a single word.
0: I think. Do you do you have the cover that is illustrated by Clive Barker? Because I don't. I don't either.
5: Yeah, I've got I've got the original uh, the original one that has uh, Barker's illustrations all over it.
1: Yeah, we got a bland one. I I I think
2: ours is pretty bland. It's just like a field and then the house in silhouette in the background.
0: That's different from mine. Mine the front cover is kind of like. Well, you see the this the shape of this kid running into this like light and his shadow is is Harvey with the bat wings. And Ooh. then on the back on the back you can see this stone wall with a plaque. This is the holiday house. Everything's covered in snow. You see a bike with little tassels. And then I thought it was a gargoyle, but it might be Karna, like sitting on the wall. <laughs>
1: so okay, the...
0: you you guys got the
1: better book covers and we cover didn't. photograph by by Camille.
2: <laughs> Volgaire of Getty Images, slash Getty Images. Oh, I'm like, it's, oh, a, get, it's, a, it's just a Yeah, it's like a, it's a generic, it's a really generic cover. We our, our edition has a really generic cover.
5: So the cover art that mine has is a Clive Barker-style drawing. It's got the house in there, which matches almost exactly the one that Harvey's father draws later in the book. And I didn't realize that until just now when I was looking at it. And at the bottom of the steps is, the, like, Mr. Hood's, like, smiling face with the with the sharp teeth and on the on the back is harvey with slightly pointed ears with like what look like wings wrapped around him in front of the lake which is all dark and you can see like thin gaunt people with drawn faces and glassy eyes moving towards it oh that's cool it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece of art
2: i need to look i'm gonna i'm gonna look that look that up lighter when we're done here
0: i wonder if that's the cover that we saw um kayla when we were at powell's that signed copy that we found
1: oh i think
0: you're right
1: because we, we were uh we were at uh i visited say um in oregon and we went to powell's and we tried to look up the book and then we discovered signed copy for like 60 bucks or something i'm like no
0: i would have bought
5: that in a heartbeat
0: I was going to, I went back and it was still there and I still might, but like the only reason I didn't pick up because it was like signed to Linda. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly the answer to that is just change your name to Linda. (laughs) Or I could give it to Rayanne's mother because her name's Linda. (laughs) There you go.
2: Uh, We, uh, Kayla has a signed copy of Hellbound Heart though.
0: I do. Um,
1: Actually that one, um, I think I'm not, I probably mentioned this on the last one, or the in, during the Hellbound Heart one, that uh, I got it for five bucks because he accidentally smudged his name. They're like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, that was a because th- they were like selling it for like twenty five or something stupid, and then they're like, oh, it's smudged. We'll give it to you for five. I'm like, what?
4: <laughs> oh, oh, one of the
5: things about about the book that. I noticed this time reading it that gives some really interesting foreshadowing about Harvey's characterization towards the end of the novel, is when they transform him into a vampire. You know, Jive is dancing around him, saying things like, "Oh, you've got a killer streak in you," and blah blah blah, and really, kind of hyping him up to like get into the role. Uh-huh. And when he's when he's doing it, he feels like the rush of power. And he realizes he's like, I don't actually want to hurt Wendell. I just wanted to spook him. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes back and, and Jive and Mar are really disappointed in him. And they're like, we've thought you had greatness in you, kid. Blah, blah, blah. And I realize I'm like, were they testing him to see if he could be like the next Hood? Ooh. And then when Hood is just like, you can be powerful like me, you know, join me and we can rule the galaxy kind of thing. <laughs> I was. It was one of those things where I'm like. They were setting this up since the beginning. Harvey's always been special.
2: Right. We don't know exactly what they intend to do, but it certainly does just want to consume him like the other kids. Hood, Hood wants him for a purpose. And the they and the thing is, I think they even mentioned like, you know, soul stealers, blood drinkers. They're like, we, these are the people, you could be like one of them, and they're the people that we, we serve, the people that flock to. Mm. And I thought that was kind of cool. Like, implying there are more beings out there than just Hood. Any final thoughts, I guess? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not, not, not to, like, assume that this is the last we're going to talk about it. I was just, like, <laughs> I, I could feel a winding down occurring. I don't, I mean.
1: I was feeling it, too, so it's all good.
5: I think we hit a lot of the major points of it. It's. Uh, it's dark. It's just one of my favorite books.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I completely recommend it.
5: Same. hmm Absolutely, adult Alex recommends it. Kid Alex recommends it. I've always tried to sell people on this book. Well,
1: um, Alex, thank you for joining us with this one. It was
5: sorry about that. that as mean
2: as my
4: fault.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we we really do appreciate you having on and um, bringing in your um, insight. It, it's been awesome. Well, thank
5: you and... very much for having me. I, I really love the show. I always get really excited when a new episode comes out and for this one when it was announced and i was like i was like oh god how am i going to be able to put this down in question form (laughs) i was like it's going to be pages and pages
0: (laughs) oh and that's and that's why we just had you on instead of us getting questions (laughs)
5: yeah (laughs) i I greatly i greatly appreciate the opportunity thank you very much
0: we're really happy to have you on alex and say, I want to say thank you for
2: pitching this book for us to read. I, that, I mean, I know this is a club and we're all making suggestions for books. And but I think it's it's important to say, like, I don't know if I would have read this if we weren't doing this podcast. So I'm glad we did. And I'm glad I uh, I'm glad you exposed me to it. And uh, I want to say thank you.
0: You are most welcome. I'm glad that for my my first pitch to this podcast <laughs> that we, you guys all enjoyed it. Um <laughs> I'm not as well read as you guys, so I'm a little more hesitant to pitch a book, but I'm, I'm glad with the, the one that I chose and I'm no. really happy you all enjoyed it. It yeah, was a really free. good choice.
1: Yeah, feel free to. You're, I, hey, if you made a good choice like this, I look forward to seeing what other choices you come up with.
5: Back when you guys first read Hellbound Heart and I was listening to that episode, I was thinking they should do an episode on Thief of Always.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your wish came true.
5: Uh oh, the house was listening.
1: Oh snap! <laughs> so um, for our next episode, we—I'm going. It's—it's my turn. It's my turn to, <laughs> it's
4: my my turn. <laughs> uh,
1: to uh, suggest a children's horror story as we continue on this uh, journey. And my childhood horror book I decide to recommend is um, *Rolled Dolls: The Witches*. I love this book. Um, It is one of the popular Roald Dahl books, but it's not as, like, not as many people have read it as, like, Matilda or uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or James and the Giant Peach. But this one has definitely a horror feel, especially if you've seen the movie. And then uh, as—I'm also going to probably discuss Roald Dahl's adult stories because, oh, boy, those. (laughs) those, I love them, and they are scary, so— but uh, that's going to be for
0: um, May 13th yep. is for that one. Yes. So uh, read the book along with us and send us in your questions or comments, and we'll happily discuss them here. You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at darklylitpod. Our email is darklylitpodcast at gmail.com. Or just head over to com. You can find us there. <laughs> yeah, you can find you can find us at any of those
1: places. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any suggestions uh shoot us a message or if you have any questions please shoot us a message we we're willing to read and willing to listen so uh
0: we'll also take questions on any past reads too Mm -hmm. so uh time we probably should blow out the candles and uh
1: probably lock up before um the house or this library starts to come to life
2: that seems good everybody uh everybody hold hands as we go through the mist so we don't get lost
3: no, I think Don't I'll worry. Just I got stay my here.
2: <laughs> Are you
3: sure you want to stay here? I mean, they got great food. Ah, I mean, who cares? It's like dust, but if it tastes good,
0: I'll stay. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Can now. I ask for just like an endless buffet of sushi? Yes.
5: Oh, sushi. Yeah.
2: Hood promises you anything, and you're just like, just give me sushi.